0: This is Mouth Media Network.
1: Hi, welcome to another exciting episode of Material Is Your Business on Mouth Media Network. We are here today with Sim Galati of Drapel Fabrics and totally a a perfect day to be talking to them. It is pouring rain outside. I come into the studio soaking wet and they have a solution to protect your fabrics and make it life-proof. So... We are excited. The show starts right now.
2: Hi, I'm Sim Galati. And what I love about materials and the discovery of new materials is that it gives designers and industries and people a new way to impact their business, their industry, their environment.
3: New York City. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology and business of materials and manufacturing. Your hosts for this episode are Samantha Cortez, international consultant and founder of Samantha's Platform, and Stephanie Benedetto, CEO and co-founder of Queen of Raw. And now... Here are your hosts.
1: Welcome. I'm Stephanie Benedetto, and I'm joined by my co-host, Samantha Cortez. Hola. And our guest today is Sim Gulati of Drapel Fabrics. We are recording on location at the Mouth Media Studios at Voyager HQ. And Sim, in the first segment of the show, we really like to give a kind of Reader's Digest high-level thumbnail sketch of who you are and how you got started, and I know you previously have been on "Fashion is Your Business" episode number thirty-four. So everybody, you can also listen to that to get more information. So Sim, how did you come up with this idea and get started?
2: Uh, first of all, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, wow, that was some time ago, thirty episode thirty-four. Um, but um, how we came up with Dropel? What inspired Dropel? Um, and, uh, yeah, sort of share my background so you get a perspective of how I'm looking at the business and then really the industry. Um, I grew up in New York. My family owned factories in India. And so, um, you know, as a child grew up, uh, I grew up in New York where my, my dad would take me to meetings when I was 13 years old. I'd be playing with my food and he would be, you know, having these deals um, over dinner and I would be kind of learning through osmosis. I went to school at Oxford, studying international relations and economics and thought I was going to be a banker or a consultant, but instead moved to India to to learn about the family business. And that's when I discovered that I could start my own business by working with factories in Southeast Asia and China and contracting them. And uh, so that's when I started my first business. And over the years, working with major retailers and department stores, I saw a lot of innovation happening in polyester and synthetics, really led by companies like Nike, Little Lemon, DuPont, 3M. And similarly, I saw the same amount of innovation happening in outerwear, like Gore-Tex, Patagonia, and North Face. But natural fabrics and the fabrics that we all sort of wear on a day-to-day basis, there was no innovation happening. And so that's when we began working with both material scientists, chemical engineers, and created Dropel.
1: It's an incredible innovation and I think something that we can all benefit from on rainy days or especially in New York City in the subway. You're sweaty, you get to the office. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the fabric actually does and what how it makes it life-proof.
2: Sure, yeah. Um, so our goal is to make clothing life-proof. And the idea here is that we want to bridge material science and the fashion industry by taking the functional and protective properties of polyester and bring them to natural fabrics while still maintaining their softness and breathability. So properties like stain repellency, oil repellency, um, wrinkle-free, antimicrobial, um, and then many others, and so the idea here is that to use a lot of these, a lot of these properties that were specifically reserved for polyester, and now onto our natural fabrics like cashmere, linen, wool, denim, and fabrics that typically have not had any sort of functionality and are finer and more fragile.
0: It's actually very interesting. I've, um, I have a friend of mine that does the textiles in Puebla, and he weaves the fiber before you put it into production. Mm. He was um, mentioning to me the other day that he's mixing a percentage of cotton with a steel. Mm. Is that something along the lines that you're what you're doing or? Yeah, so it's your...
2: interesting um, that is sort of mixing and blending fibers. Um, and we are doing that on, on the nanoscale. By using nanofibers um, and not u- doing yarn, uh, but the idea here is, and sort of what the what I fundamentally believe is that if the right technology exists within the next five to ten years, all of our clothing can be functionalized in one form or another, and whether that is through functionality, whether it is through um, nanosensors, whether it is through you know nanofibers, we will have some sort of functionality. Now, given the fact that 80% of our wardrobe is natural fabrics, I believe that the road to that is through advanced fiber modification. And so uh, we're not really combining fibers, as a, we are rather modifying fibers.
1: And how are you kind of getting into the actual modification of fibers? Do you work with a team of scientists? What is that kind of process like? You have this idea, this vision for a, a fiber that behaves a certain way, and how do you make it happen?
2: Yeah, so it's a proprietary process that we're developing now um, in our labs where uh, we have a great team of material scientists, um, you know, from MIT, from uh, the Mag Lab, and as well as, uh, you know, uh, North Carolina State. So the idea here is to take take scientists that have have worked and understand um, sort of the application of fibers and then also bring in executives and bring in folks who understand supply chain and bring them together. Because in order to have impactful change in the market, we have to work within the existing supply chain of brands and retailers. So when we do look at technologies, that's sort of the lens in which we look at is how can we take material science breakthroughs and then integrate them in the way retailers work today?
0: That's very interesting. I've heard a lot about that tracking Mm-hmm. As in fibers being um, twisted in a tracking system, yeah, yeah. So you kind of follow through the, the the process of where that that fabric went to. Mm-hmm. Have you heard anything about that?
2: Um, like, you mean as in like, like a
0: thread th- twisting it into mm-hmm. the thread, the fibers, and um, the tracking system?
2: The, I haven't heard specifically about the tracking system, uh-huh. but I'm familiar with combined with um, with twisting fibers together um, and sort of creating functionality that way. Um, which is a similar process um, something have something called like electron spinning um, that does that, does that but on the nano scale
1: and as we're looking kind of at that, connection to supply chains which is we know such a a big problem you you have a great idea you've got a great innovation but how do you actually get it out there into the marketplace and get Mm -hmm. response and partners has there been a strategy or a process for you guys that have worked really well in order to actually get it into those channels and effectuate that broad reaching change
2: yeah so um that's an interesting question the Given sort of my background and understanding how supply chain works, I've worked with retailers before and brands, so um, have a good under, understanding of the layout of the industry. And the way we wanted to sort of introduce Jopel in the marketplace is work with strategic brands that understand the value of what we're doing um, and understand that have the capabilities to integrate in the way we work in our supply chain, um, where we have offices in China that can, that work with their suppliers. So, um, how we navigated that was early on, we worked with sort of up and coming brands and designers like Aria, who was an opening ceremony. Um, the other was Seem, who's a high end Japanese designer that's in Isatan. Uh, another brand was called Mr. French, where we created this, that's really cool, um, a hydrophobic linen shirt um, <laughs> for New Year's. And so it was sort of for the person that goes to Central Pay for New Year's and they had this campaign where it's wine-resistant, champagne-resistant, lame-resistant. I wish I was at that party. I want one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish I was at that party.
2: (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so that was really cool. So that's what we did early on is really kind of get that early adoption from our consumers. And now we're working with major retail and brands, retailers and brands to uh, launch campaigns in the next few seasons coming up Um, as we do socialize the idea of innovative textiles in the market.
1: And as you're working with those kind of major brands and, and big customers, do you find that they tend to come to you with a certain idea and they're looking for you to customize your product more in a specific direction, or are they kind of looking at everything you have in your book and able to kind of work with and adopt it? Is that process complicated?
2: Yeah. So, um, it, so, you know, we have a sort of a, a unique understanding of how the, the brands work and what we do and how we want to position ourselves or how we do position ourselves is as a innovation arm for these retailers. What brands are really good at are is designing and distribution. And so what we do is we handle sort of the material science side. A really interesting example is that so we had uh, one of our fabrics and we took it to our client and, you know, it was hydrophobic. Uh, so it repels waters and stains. And our customer, which was a a golf brand, um, you know, sort of a active sort of brand, and they were like, great, we love what you guys are doing. However, there's a problem because in our uh, customer, they're going to sweat when they're playing golf, and we want the moisture to be absorbed and not repelled. That makes perfect sense. So Mm -hmm. we went back uh, to the drawing board on our R&D team, and we created, for the first time, a hydrophobic cotton that on one side is repellent, and on the other side is moisture wicking. Uh, sort of hydrophilic so it picks up the moisture Um, and that's what we went back and took it to our client and say well this is what we created for you and then fantastic and then we were able to work on that program so the idea here is that we like to allow designers and brands to think about the possibilities of fabrics and the possibilities of what you know they can do and then we sort of let them think about you know how it would suit their customer and their industry and then we go back and you know on with our R&D team and create those fabrics if if it's possible. Um, yeah,
0: do they pay for a part of that collaboration?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean that's part of sort of the the relationship that we build
0: that's amazing, yeah,
1: and then um the lawyer and me can't help but ask out of curiosity, what is the legal protection around that for you? Do you then license it to them? Are you into actually doing the production once you've done the r and d phase?
2: Yeah, so it's uh you know we have i p on the chemistry i p on the process and um and every fabric that we work with has a unique chemistry and a unique process, so it's very specific. Um, to the, um, you know, the actual requirements and the performance that we want to reach. And so um, when it comes to how we work with our clients, whether it's exclusivity in certain markets, licensing, royalties, um, and that's something is really dependent on the client um, and the brand and how they want to, you know, kind of negotiate that deal. And that's something that's we're ongoing um, kind of dealing with as we speak.
1: Yeah. And I know as you're kind of navigating that process too, there's a value to creating the Drapel brand and having Mm -hmm. the name associated to that technology and what you're building and what you're doing. Um, Do you find, or or what do you really see now, maybe even versus where you started as what the Drapel brand should stand for?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, You know, it's evolved so much. And as the company has evolved and sort of the missions. Uh, when we first started this, we were just excited to get in the doors of a lot of these major brands and and then the question came, well, do you guys have marketing material? Um, and, then, and then you know we were like, okay, we should probably create marketing material <laughs> and And then what we realized very early on was that there is sort of a, a marketing recognition of Dropel. you know we've been fortunate enough to have you know been in great publications that has allowed us to build some credibility. And now with the collaborations that we've had to the market, that's uh, further added to that. So what we've done is really refining our mission and part where uh, we're, we're um, enrolled in Fashion for Good, um, the program in Amsterdam that's, that's further allowing us to develop our sustainability mission. So the idea of, you know, moving away from polyester and innovating within natural as a renewable resource um, that's safe from the environment, that's healthy. And um, so what we're seeing from a branding perspective is that um, there are ways that we can um, focus and grow our brand, but similarly, we want to really be sure that the principles and values that we believe in, um, that that we practice from a company perspective are also being um, portrayed, you know, the right way in 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 the market.
0: That's actually very interesting because I remember ten, like ten or fifteen years ago, how hard it was for cotton to get people to like recognize and put a label onto their shirts that it was cotton. Mm-hmm. And now they're asking you to do the to make sure you put some marketing materials and some hand tags to it so they can. Yeah, uh, um.
2: I, and no, you're totally right. And I think what we're seeing is that in the industry with the explosion of um, technology, you know, if you think about it, technology has enhanced almost every part of our lives except for the clothes that we wear. And I find that like so bizarre. Um, and, and so I think retailers are catching on to that. And they're like, you know, I, we need to find ways to bring customers into the stores that's beyond like a nice design, right? And really have something unique and really pushing the boundaries of innovation. Um, and so I think, I, think, I think this is from a timing perspective, I think it's really, you know, at, at its prime.
1: Can you tell me a little bit more about, you mentioned Fashion for Good, and I mm-hmm. know you guys are involved in that accelerator, about what you're doing there and, and what kind of they do to help bridge the gap and support companies like
2: you? Sure. Yeah. Fashion for Good, um, it's it's a, a collaboration between Plug and Play, um, Plug and Play Ventures, our Plug and Play headquarters, one of the Silicon Valley's largest incubators, um, in partnership with C&A Foundation, Cradle to Cradle, and Kering. Um, to pr- promote sustainability within the fashion industry and uh, sort of find the next um, Airbnb for the fashion industry um, and have a disruptive technology in in within the industry, but have it done in a sustainable way. And so that's what they're doing, and, and it's been great for us as we further evolve our mission, how we can impact the market. And one of the three things that is really powerful that um, the founder of Cradle to Cradle, um, uh, William McDowell. Um, to promote is the five goods, um, which is, you know, like good energy, good environment, good waste, good water. Um, I forget the fifth one, good food. <laughs> um, and um, you have to kind of check me on that later. But um, the, and that's really, and that's, you know, that's helped us also ensure that as we are developing our technologies, as we are further pushing uh, the boundaries of innovation, that we're doing it in, in a sustainable way uh, that is, you know, not just less harmful, but actually good for the industry.
1: Well, I'm going to add one more good. That's a good time for a fast break. We'll be (laughs) back soon on Material Is Your Business with Sim Gulati of Drapel Fabrics, making your fabrics life-proof right after this.
3: Greetings, Mouth Media Network listener. My name is Davin Riley, and I'm willing to bet you like music. And even if my assumption is wrong, I still think you should come and check out our show, The Music Lover Podcast, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, pioneers, artists, and the unsung heroes of the music industry. Together, we'll uncover the insider perspectives on some of your favorite companies and artists as we analyze music business trends through a technological lens. Find us at The Music Lover Podcast, but remember... That's Music Lover Without the Vowels. M S C L V R. Yes, we're that cool. And since you're cool too, we should be friends. The Music Lover Podcast. We'll see you there.
1: Welcome back to Material is Your Business. We're here with Sim Galati of Drapel Fabrics and. Wait, actually, are are you guys still going by Dropel Fabrics? I thought I saw some change somewhere recently.
2: Yeah, no, actually, you're right. Um, we're now just Drupal, um, and uh, we feel that that encompasses more of what we do, and moving you know further upstream from fabrics to fibers to yarn and other developments and nanos.
1: Really interesting. And I know we were kind of talking a little bit on break about manufacturing and bring it back into the U.S., which is near and dear to our hearts, Samantha, especially.
0: Yes, Stephanie. I just took on Save the Garment Center, and I'm the executive director. And for those who don't know, Save the Garment Center is an organization to help look at the future of the industries in, in the U.S. And we extended a proposal to the state to the city and we're going to send it federal about bringing back manufacturing and mostly in RD. so i wanted to hear a little bit more do you think that there's going to be much more development in the u.s and can you talk to a little bit about it
2: yeah it's really interesting um i'm a big fan of what you guys do um awesome thank you for kind of helping with all the domestic production um and R&D. I think it's important to really bring back uh, the science and innovation domestically. And that's sort of our plan. Um, in six or 12 months, we plan to have a lab in, somewhere in Brooklyn. We're looking for space as we speak, um, where we're sort of further advancing our, our fiber and nanotechnologies. And you know, we have a roadmap in place to do that. So very excited for about what you guys are doing and the potential that it offers.
0: Do you think that the manufacturing will come back to the US?
2: Um, I think the manufacturing um so here's my thoughts about that um I think manufacturing will come back if consumers have can can pay a higher threshold right' Because I think we consumers are have been spoiled with really low price points, and um I think in order for a, a, a an impactful change to happen where we, where a, a large number of you know sort of manufacturing jobs and opportunities come back, there needs to be a um, a conscious decision by the consumer to say that this is what we're going going to go after. And then we're okay with paying a little bit more, um, and, 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 and and kind of reinvesting in that way.
0: But I think we got an opportunity right now because we're working with R and D and unique fabrics. Mm -hmm. So we, as a, as a, um, developer and as in branding, you can bring the fabrics to the price that we need it to be because it's, and that's where, if I think, to my opinion, that if we are going to bring back manufacturing, it has to be in that R and D, innovative fabrics that you guys are creating.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so that's from a fabric perspective, absolutely, right? I think I think the opportunities are there. The cotton production um, is one of the largest in the world, and so it's about further developing that. And 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 whether it's you know using domestic cotton internally, um, domestically or or offshore, I think the idea here is that. Uh, there there's many opportunities to expand the the, the garment industry, the, the fashion industry, uh, whether it is on the R&D side, whether it's on the production side of fabric or the production side of putting garments together. Is that what you were sort of talking about?
1: And I always find the whole price point conversation so funny, though, because you pay a certain price, say it's $5 for a t-shirt, but you wear it once and it falls apart and you pay even 40 dollars for a really nice shirt, and it lasts for ten years. Uh-huh. I mean, the actual cost per wear is yeah. so much better that I think you're right. We do have to shift the way people think about it, but from a practical and a business level, it does. It just makes sense. Yeah. So
2: quality over quantity. Yeah,
0: it's actually interesting. We were listening to the other day is that they said that a lot of the the a lot of the fibers that you buy in in different discount um, clothing. Companies, you have to wash it ten times mm. to make sure that the lead is taken out of the oh of gosh. the piece, and that's actually. An-
1: there brings up another point. So what is it in terms of your technology? And then when it's applied to the actual garment in terms of wear and durability and like the actual practical applications of this, does mm-hmm. it have an effect? Does it wear after a certain amount of time of washing? What's mm-hmm. the, what, how does it actually work?
2: Yeah. So the, uh, the performance of it. So let's say, you know, we have a, an Oxford dress shirt that, um, that's hydrophobic and stain resistant, um, We have, this is where we work with our clients to understand their performance threshold. It might be, they might say to us, we want the last 15 washes or 20 washes or or 30 washes. So we'll go ahead and we'll create recipes and processes specific to that fabric and their desired, our our client's desired performance criteria. Um, So, you know, a lot of this uh, customization uh, really depends on the fabric, the industry, uh, and the brand that's kind of pushing it.
1: And, as you're kind of you're growing this business and had a little bit of a version two point now mm-hmm. that's come out, have there been any specific challenges or things you want to address that you think people need to be thinking about differently, obviously, in addition to the price point we just talked about
2: yeah i think uh I think people just need to be more mindful of the all the chemicals that are in our on our clothes um and so one a two point sort of mission is to to create PFC-free recipes, uh, recipes that do not contain any fluorocarbons and, um, and, you know, further innovating within that space. Um, I would think that's important for consumers to know, um, where their garments are being produced, um, whether, where sort of the, um, what chemistries are there? Like if you think about denim and the amount of chemicals and dye that are in denim, it's just, it just blows my mind every time I think about it, um, but yet consumers are so okay with wearing it and uh pfc's known i think they, they took a a a a, uh, a snow sample from everest or a really high peak where and they tested it and it had pfc so like they're um and that and that sort of sample had uh fluorocarbons and so the idea is that fluorocarbons are, are sort of ubiquitous and but the how can we reduce the usage of it um in our clothing so that they don't permeate into our bodies um and Um, I think now all the technologies that exist are sort of filled with fluorocarbons and so our goal is to move away from that and create green chemistries um, and to create green chemistries that are good for the environment Um, and you know fashion for good cradle to cradle a lot of these organizations are helping us do that um, as we further develop our roadmap.
1: And are you going to be looking at either certifications for your processes or how to track the water toxins and energy saved so you can actually see the kind of real impact as the business grows and your your connections grow?
2: Yeah, exactly. We're doing all of that as we speak.
1: Thinking about obviously wanting to make this change in, in the consumer and where you're going, um, do you I have to pre- present what you're doing as a business case, not just because we hear obviously in the sustainable community, you know, you're preaching to the choir a bit when you're talking and trying to rally about sustainability, but knowing that, you know, by 2025, two thirds of the world's population may face shortages of fresh water. That's not too far away. Um, how do you also make this case of who you are either in your branding or with your partnerships that not only does this make sustainable sense, but it also makes business sense for you?
2: Yeah. I I think, um, Here's sort of we have two, two or three avenues that we often kind of think about, right? So when you see water repel off of a shirt, the first thing that people usually think about is, wow, that's really cool. Right? You know, like they don't think about the environmental impacts. They don't really think about the cost. Wow, that's just really cool.
1: And your pictures look very sexy, by the way, on Instagram. <laughs> oh, or, or the fabric kind of fall in the waterfall? Yeah,
2: and that's the idea, right? It allows customers to think in a, of fabrics in a way that they've never thought about it before. Um, from a, some of a business standpoint, that is value-driven, and you can monetize that in many different ways, um, designers and brands. Um, so, you know, that's sort of how what we've seen has really hooked on from a, a business standpoint. Um, and also because they can because brands can do this on almost any of their fabrics they don't have to change their existing product collection right so if let's say for instance a well known brand is producing a a t-shirt that you know is a plain t-shirt they can then have the same exact t-shirt at a very similar price but now with our technology on it um and so the question becomes is why wouldn't you do that right why wouldn't you now have a product that creates more value for you as a brand, right? Because you're able to charge a little bit more. The customer wants to buy it because they're excited about it. Uh, so it's really a win-win um, how we see. It. And so when we look at it from a business perspective, our the closeness and we work with our brands allows them to, to position this in a way that they can gain the most value from.
0: So one question on that dripping of the water onto the fabric, was that Is it created from the fiber when you twist the fiber or is it a um, a, a layer of something that you place on the fiber?
2: Yeah. It's application process.
0: It's application process.
2: Yeah.
1: And you know, it's as you're looking at the supply chain and where you are now and where you're going and obviously having these huge, big, amazing retail partners are so important to the business, but for, the students and the emergent independent designers who are going to be tomorrow's big designers, are there opportunities and ways eventually for them to engage with Drupal to look at how mm. they want to innovate, perhaps a new technical textile. Tech and then how do they even get access to it if they can yet, or maybe it's not yet. Yeah,
2: no, that's something that, um, we've really thought about is how can we, uh, you know, we're, we're early stage companies, still kind of early stage. Um, and, um, <laughs>
1: when do you stop becoming
2: early I, stage? I don't know. I think we like still considered a startup. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, so we are limited in our bandwidth, and so I think our goal at some point is to create sort of an open source platform where we can have designers come in and use our product, create you know fabrics with it, and create a sort of a catalog in which designers can purchase our fabrics. And so I think we'll get there. It's just like stepwise for us to create a a way uh, in which we're sustainable as a business standpoint and then can then allow sort of the other um, areas of the business to expand
1: that's a perfect spot to have a fast break we'll be back with the final segment uh where we get to ask personal questions and our fun feature remnants right after this some material is your business Hi, everyone. This is Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, another great show on Mouth Media Network. If you like the podcast you're listening to, Material Is Your Business, then I bet you're going to love Fashion Is Your Business, which intersects fashion technology and innovation, and also American Fashion Podcast, which Harper's Bazaar calls for the true fashion nerd at heart. Both shows and a whole bunch of other great podcasts are all available at MouthMediaNetwork.com. And when you do listen, let us know you heard about them on Material Is Your Business. Thanks a lot.
3: And now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Material Is Your Business. We're here with Sim Galati of Drapel. And it's time for... And now, now, it's
3: it's Remnants. remnants.
1: That's right, it's Remnants. It's where we get to ask you personal questions. We have no idea what we're going to ask. I don't know what Samantha's going to ask. We don't know what order we're going to do it in. And we solve that by tearing a strip of material and then picking randomly from the hat. And the longest strip will go first. So what kind of material should we use today? Obviously, a piece of fabric with drapel technology in it. So, okay. And it's me. (laughs) So Sim, when you're thinking about the future and if kind of there were no science, math, technical considerations and issues applicable, what would be the greatest superpower innovation you'd want for a piece of fabric to be able to do?
2: Oh, um, that's easy. I'd want like a a fabric that grows and shrinks and thickens and cools and heats and answers my phone and plays my mp3s all at once
1: it's just another <laughs> another you that does the work <laughs>
2: everything It does everything for me um but i think having um you know in terms of fabrics the you know i think we don't really have to think that far out of the box a lot of this is already happening um i think the future is way closer than we think it is um and uh um, but one that can grow and shrink would be cool
1: and i know i've seen they've also been doing those fabrics kind of that heal themselves and so you're right these things seem so sci-fi but and they and they're becoming more and more accessible and obviously that's some of the great work you're doing to get it more accessible into the hands of the community and get fashion and designers to use it are you guys also looking at other applications beyond just fashion for your fabrics yeah
2: um and so we've wanted to do this for a while um and we did a you know, a little pilot where we're working with hospitals, creating um, uniforms that repel bodily fluids and prevent bacteria. Um, and so one of the things is that oftentimes volunteers in third world countries will have to wear polyester uniforms because they don't have access to clean water or washing a laundry. So um, they're forced to wear polyester where uh, with our technology and our fabrics, they can, you know, wear a cotton fabric, still be soft and breathable and be comfortable you know, in, you know, in those harsh environments um, and still be able to, you know, wear cotton and, um, and not wear polyester. So the, we do want to um, kind of, we do want to go into uniforms and uh, working with uh, the healthcare industry. I think that would be really impactful and powerful uh, where we can prevent the spread of bacteria. Actually, one of the, where, where we sort of thought about this was um, like last year, there's a piece on 60 Minutes stating how one of the leading causes of the Ebola virus was the transmission of bacteria through the uniform Uh, because it would get stained, Um, and so that's why they moved to polyester, and I was like, how, and then we created fabrics that repel bodily fluids, so um, that's an area that we were really interested in.
1: Fantastic, and I can also think in, like, interior design, automotive, I mean, there's huge, interesting applications for this. Yeah, fabrics
2: are ubiquitous, right, and so, you know, (laughs) where can we really start, and, um, you know, how do we, how do we want to impact uh, any industry that we go in, right? And how do uh, what is the sort of imprint that we see? And we see this business as a business that I'm going to be working on for the rest of my life. And so there's no rush into like getting into markets. We want to do it sort of the right way.
1: Fantastic.
2: Yeah.
1: And just because, let's pull the next piece of
0: fabric. Go figure, it's Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually have so many other questions for you, but uh, I would like to stay back on track on our 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 conversation and it's more about when you were as a child going to to the factories what type of machines impressed you the most and why
2: um so there's two machines that i just find really fascinating um which are um embroidery machines that like just are like, the lines of embroidery machines that just kind of like are just plugging at one time i just find that like that them acting in unison just always like when i was going as a child would often like hypnotize me i would just like stare at these embroidery machines like puncturing holes into fabrics and creating this beautiful design
1: that's yeah.
0: actually my passion too <laughs> <laughs> i had an embroidery company for 12 oh, years cool. so yeah
2: Nice. Yeah. embroidery machines are fun. Um, also like knitting machines, um, that kind of like circular knitting machines, I find pretty cool too. Yeah.
1: Sim, can you give us kind of a final thought maybe as you look back on your work or this interview or your personal experience, any, any final thought you want to leave us with?
2: Um, the final thought would be, you know, if I would say, you know, if there's an idea, um, you know, how, however crazy it may appear, um, when you think about it, and if you think it has even an iota of being a reality, to work on it.
1: I love it. I love it. <laughs> How can uh, everybody connect with you and your business? What's the best way?
2: Sure. Uh, shoot me an email, sim at com.
1: Thank you so much, Sim. It was awesome. great Thank having you. you for having him. me. For Samantha Cortez, adios. And I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everybody. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Material is Your Business.
3: This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening.
0: This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.